Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film Podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into Minding the Gap in today's review episode. I can show you the world. Just take a look through my eyes. If you're on Letterboxd, then you may have come across uh, a, a list that is curated every year, which presents the top 50 movies, according to Letterboxd, for each given year. And uh, the, the stipulations and, and guidelines within those lists are change gradually each year. I think this year, uh, the stipulation of how many views a movie had before it made the list was added uh and uh you know it it includes films from 2017 if they were also released in 2018 domestically or in a specific country i don't know it's a little shaky in those instances but for the most part it represents the top 50 movies with average film based on their average rating on letterboxd uh that were released wide uh in the year of 2018 or even limited, I guess, as long as it had enough views. And it generally features a lot of movies that most people can't get to see until very late in the year, sometimes not even until the year later. Uh, some of the films on it right now include Roma, which is coming out, is going much wider this weekend uh, in theaters, as well as being released on Netflix this weekend. You have Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse this weekend, The Favorite, which is expanding wider this weekend. Uh, you've got foreign language films like Shoplifters, uh, and burning uh, documentaries like Free Solo and Burn the Stage, uh, the movie, as well as, you know, other films from earlier in this year like First Reformed, Infinity War, Hereditary, Mission Impossible Fallout, um, Black Klansman, Isle of Dogs, and so on. And it's always fun uh, for me to try and find as many of these films as possible. They're rated highly for a reason. A lot of people like them. Um, Roma is currently number one on this list with an average rating on Letterboxd of 4.44, which is incredibly high and is actually represents ninth overall in the Letterboxd top 250 of all time. Uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is number two with a 4.43 average rating. Uh, and is also in the Letterboxd Top 250 of all time. But Minding the Gap is a documentary. That's what we're talking about today. And it's on Hulu. That's where I watched it. Uh, I, I got a... I decided to do a, a free trial on Hulu to watch my, just for Minding the Gap. I'd heard so many great things. It, uh, I believe at the time, this was a few days ago, it was actually getting uh, praise for its editing and direction at one of the film critic circles uh, that was releasing their awards. And I had been trying to see it for a while. I couldn't find it anywhere, and it kept saying it was on Hulu, and I didn't want to do the free trial, but at least not right now while I was in the middle of like doing all my writing and whatnot. So I was going to wait until January, but I decided, you know what? No, I'm doing it right now. I'm going to watch Minding the Gap. So, Minding the Gap is currently the fourth highest rated film from 2018, according to this list. Uh, I believe that will remain true when they update it again at the, end, at the beginning of the week. Yes. 
which makes it the second highest rated documentary right behind Won't You Be My Neighbor. It has a 4.20 average rating, weighted average rating on Letterboxd with less than, let me see, less than, with only seven ratings, giving it less than two stars out of five. And 82% of all ratings be giving it at least a four star out of five rating. Overwhelming uh, approval. And it's fascinating that in this year, 2018, we've had Minding the Gap, which is about three young men who bonded and became friends uh, through skateboarding when they were younger. We have mid-90s, Jonah Hill's directorial debut, also about skateboarding. There's Skate Kitchen, also about skateboarding. They all came out this year, and mid-90s, mid-90s wasn't the best. I don't know if you liked it or not, but I, I was very lukewarm on most of it and, and a little negative on some of it, uh, ultimately resulting in a rating in the 40s, I think in the mid-40s from me. Uh, whereas Skate Kitchen, I was pretty, I, I enjoyed Skate Kitchen. It wasn't great, but it was fine. Uh, I think it's a high 50s, low 60s score. And so, minding the gap, I was like, all right, well, what, this one's a documentary. The other two are actual, you know, narrative films, more so. So, I was hoping, or I was, I was interested to see how the take on skate culture and the way that that Im- impacts these men and their lives would be different. And boy was it. Um, so Mind of the Gap, directed by Bing Liu, I think I'm pronouncing that right, uh, starring Bing Liu as uh, the narrator slash host slash interviewer slash cameraman slash editor uh, of the film. It follows specifically uh, Bing, uh, Keir Johnson, and Zach Mulligan as the three main characters. And effectively, all it tries to do is examine the transition between these three guys are in are going through between, you know, like being teenagers and becoming adults. They're three very distinct people who come from very different places who bonded over their unique and uh, appreciate your unique appreciation for skateboarding their unique probably not the right word they're just bonding over skateboarding and and they've been doing it for years now and i think i think about 10 years now and it's created this lasting friendship between the three of them so that even when they go through some really difficult and tough situations, they're there for each other. And they can always go back to, you know, just skateboarding and filming each other, skateboarding and doing tricks and just having fun. There's always that possibility at the end of the day. But what really raises Mind in the Gap over, for me, what could have just been a very standard, this is the story, this is what's happening to us, this is where what's changed, was how intimate and transparent everything was. 
Because the three stories of these three men don't exactly overlap that often. You know, outside of them being friends and skating together, that's about it, you know. Kier and Zack and Bing, their lives have very different paths and different problems and different mountains that they have to climb. And none of those involve each other most of the time. And the only reason that they do for this documentary is because Bing is filming it all. And he's all, he's talking to all the people involved in these incidents. He's talking and, and asking them questions and kind of forcing himself into the conversation. And, and then going back to different people and saying, well, hey, would you expect so-and-so to be able to do such-and-such? Such? Or did you ever think of this when you talk, thought about him or her or that or the other thing? It's it's honest in a way that you can't that you that that feels almost impossible. There are some scenes in here that I I can't even imagine that I I feel I feel like Bing <laughs> Bing Lu's quest for honesty and truth has to be so devout, so honest, so tr so so um so pure to be able to to achieve some of the moments that he gets in this film. We follow uh Kier and Zach, I think at most of the screen time uh Kier uh is going through some stuff uh, at home. His father passed away. He, his mother has a new boyfriend and it's kind of a turbulent time for him in that respect. You know, his father was a pretty big role model in his life and he, of the three of them, he has a smile on his face more than any, anyone else. And yet, there are a lot of times where he feels like, it seems like he's the saddest of the three. Zach uh, is, is actually kind of starting his own family. Uh, you know, we get, he has a kid and uh, sort of on-again, off-again girlfriend. Uh, I believe Nina was her name. I'm not totally sure about that. I think it was Nina. And he and sh sh she and he, uh, they fight a lot all the time. There's recorded audio of them fighting. There's periods where it's really, really bad and he doesn't get to see his kid more than, you know, once a week. But there's times that are really good where they're actually together and happy and then uh, Bing Lu <laughs> Bing Lu's story is is difficult he it's it's the most confined as far as time is concerned but it may be the most powerful within that shortened time period because 
it mostly consists of him talking to his mom. And that conversation is gut-wrenching. I think there have been plenty of, I think, uh, fictional narrative films that present a scene like that, that present something that feels incredibly honest, you know, some very stark confession, uh, some barbed questions asked by someone in a setting where they get an answer that they wanted. You know, you, you, you can create a scenario where you have, you know, a parent confess to their child, you know, you look, I made a mistake, I did this wrong thing, I, I screwed up, I shouldn't have done it, I... You can look at a movie where something like, say, The Front Runner, you know, if you have a scene in The Front Runner where Hugh Jackman confesses to having sexual relations with uh, this woman, having an affair with her, cheating... You know, that kind of thing, like that kind of stark, brutal honesty, it happens. We see it in movies a lot. But in a movie, in a film, in a fictional narrative story, it just feels, I don't know, there's, there's, it's very, very difficult to put, pull off a scene like that and make it feel true, make it feel pure, make it feel like, there's nothing like like at the same time it's the last thing that the character wants to say and the only thing that the character wants to say because all you want to do is tell the truth all you want to do is confess and lift that burden but at the same time you know how painful it is to reveal it you know that all these other people are going to hear you all these people are listening and watching and paying attention you're surrounded by cameras and film equipment. You know it's going to get out there, and that's horrifying. Whether or not you did anything wrong, whether or not it's your fault, whether or not it's you'll be forgiven by, the, by everyone who sees it, by the people standing in the room with you, by your son sitting across from you, by yourself. There's all these things that go through your head twisting and turning and morphing and shifting within you. You're trying to work up the courage to accept whatever might come. Because it's something you have to say. Because you're looking at someone that you care about, that you love, that means everything to you. Who needs to know the truth? And I just don't think narrative features capture that at all. And yet, <laughs> Bing Lu absolutely captures that in Minding the Gap. Time and time and time again, he creates these just so honest moments whether they're with his mom whether they're with Zach or Zach's girlfriend whether they're with Kier and dealing with his father it's painful it's really depressing to watch 
and these, you know, these aren't, these aren't, you know, the most devastating stories in the world, you know, this isn't, you know, my family was brutally dissected in front of me when I was five years old kind of stuff, you know, this is hardly the worst that's ever happened to a person in, in the world, but what he's able to do with these stories is make them feel like the most important things that you've ever seen. He's able to give them agency and relevance. Because that's how it should be, right? We should all feel that way about our own lives. And the ability to make us feel that way about somebody else's life, life is... It's pretty damn impressive. I came out the other side of it. And I, I wasn't even... I wasn't even sympathetic about one of the main characters. One of the main people in this movie. And it wasn't, and, and I think a lot of the times when that happens, you wonder, well, does everyone really know what they're doing? Is, is this some, you know, like, I see it, but does everyone else see it kind of thing? And no, they, they see it. They see the problems. They see the issues. Bing asks about it point blank. Point blank. And it's still... He tries to be an impartial narrator, cameraman. But you can hear in some of his questions and some of the things he asks that he can't he can't do that. It's he cannot remove himself from the equation because he knows these people. They know him. It's It's far more than just a subject for him to film. These are people that he's lived and grown his whole life with. There's a lot of dark scenes, striking scenes. And I don't know about others who watch it or will watch it or, I felt watching it, you know, when have I ever, if you filmed me during the most turbulent points in my life, would it look like that? Would I be that vulnerable, that transparent? Could you feel and see the emotions that I was feeling and seeing? Was I suffering the way they suffered? Was I covering up my feelings the way they covered theirs up? 
don't know. Part of me thinks no. You know, for all that I've been through, I... I remember 11th grade English class. Uh, I was in honors English. And my English teacher that year was Mr. Mundy. He, I had had him previously for a study hall the year before that, but you know it wasn't something that required him to really know who we were. So it was still more of an introduction having him as an English teacher that year. And uh, like a month, month and a half into the into the school year, there were the parent-teacher conferences, and my grandparents went out to meet with all my teachers. And the next day, I went into class. Uh, before class started, he pulled me aside, and he said, and he had taught my mom. My mom went to the same school as I did, but he didn't recognize me. I have a different last name than her, so he didn't, you know, put it together until he saw my grandparents, my mom's uh, adoptive parents. And it all kind of came back to him because they have the same last name that my mom did. And, you know, he asked me because he knew that, that she had passed. And so, he, you know, he asked me about my father who had also passed at the time. And... You know, it's still one of my, still one of the best interactions I've had revealing that information to another person. But he kind of looked at me, and he said, "You're doing okay, then, and you're and you're and you're doing okay, and you look good." You know, considering something like that, uh, paraphrasing, and that always stuck with me. Because he was right, I think, especially during you know high school. Um, at that time, I I never felt like, or, or rather, I think a lot of the kids that I went to school with knew, but I I don't think that they would have known. You know, if it wasn't sort of widely recognized and I didn't advertise it but you know word gets around it's high school but I guess all that mean all that to say that I, I didn't exude a, a facade that showed that you know my parents were dead you know I was by all accounts uh, happy smart funny maybe reserved and quiet, but uh, competent individual, you know? And when I watch this documentary, you know, I, I really identify with Kier in this because he, feel, he looks the same way I feel like I did. 
he's laughing all the time, smiling, hanging out with his friends. You can cut out parts of this movie and it would just seem like he was a normal skateboarding kid. No cares, no no pain, no depression. And then you peel back the layers. You expose him. He exposes himself. And suddenly that facade, that impression, that face, that mask that he wears, it just falls apart. It disappears right in front of you. I think that makes it all the more affecting. You know, you see somebody laughing and having a good time out with their friends so often and man, it looks like they're they're just, you know, it feels like they're not trying at all, like they're just living and experiencing and and yet when you see the truth and the reality or if you've experienced such a thing, then you know how much energy goes into appearing aloof, appearing giddy and happy. It takes a lot of work. It requires a lot of effort. You don't just get to change a setting in your head and suddenly all your frowns become smiles what's what it's um what do they they say something like requires like half as many muscles to smile as it does to frown or something like that therefore it's less work less energy less effort But if your face wants to frown, that just means it's extra effort to force it into a smile. When I look at Zach's situation, you know, a new father with a tough relationship with his with his kids mom I mean that was uh that's not so far off from me either right like it's a different situation it's not like I was you know I was you know 10 11 12 when I was going through what Kier's going through with the death of his father. But when I was a baby, you know, my parents were never married. They split up about a year after I was born. I stayed with my mom more than my dad. 
I don't know a lot about what happened between them. There are a couple of like home videos and stuff and a handful of pictures, but nothing too substantial, I guess. But, you know, watching Zach and I, again, assume Nina, kind of deal with the turbulence of their relationship and they don't they don't talk about their kid that often relative to their relationship it's more about them from what they're saying which is fine you know there's more to to try and encapsulate a relationship in like 30 minutes is silly in and of itself but I wonder, I wonder how important, how much, you know, they, they consider their kid when they're fighting. When she's yelling at Zach, when Nina's yelling at Zach, you know, I'm going to kill you. Is she thinking that the kid might hear that? Might retain that? When he yells at her, does he think of it? Does it go through his head? Do they consider that by pushing each other further apart... that it's going to it's going to affect how their kid grows up I started living with my grandparents when I was 3 or thereabouts and they they raised me after that and maybe that's uh, I don't know, that feels like won't be too far off necessarily from what happens to theirs, their kid, if they can't stop. Whether that means coming together and, and figuring out a way to be together or deciding that their relationship is too caustic. And you see it from both sides, you know, we get to talk to Zach, we get to talk to Nina directly about the relationship, about them, about each other. And they're so young. I mean, they're, I think they're younger than me. They're in like their early to mid-twenties. And... I it doesn't seem like they have it all anything really figured out it doesn't seem like they know the best thing to do the best direction to take the best decision to make
it's something I always think, you know, when I see, when I hear about friends or of mine or, or I hear people talk about the relationship they have with their parents and whether it's good or bad or they talk every day or once a year or they never see each other or they just see each other when they on the holidays or whatever it might be and it it just <laughs> You wonder, I wonder, you know, what that would be like. Which brings me to Bing, um, his mom. They don't talk about his dad, who, I can't remember if he, he died or if he just left them. But he grew up with a stepdad most of it, most of his life. That wasn't particularly a nice guy. And the first time we really get into Bing's life, it's it's fairly deep into the film. Like we've already kind of established Kier and Zach fairly well by this point. And because Bing has spent most of this, that time behind the camera instead of in front of it, you don't even know who he is when you know when he's on the screen that much. You know, we get introduced to him very early and then he kind of hides behind the camera for a while. And so when he does come forward and we're talking to his mom and they make a point of showing the living room where he talks to her, how it's set up with all the film equipment, camera guys, boom mics, tripods and everything. And his mom who speaks kind of broken English is just kind of sitting there bewildered and unsure of the situation. And finally Bing, you know, sits down neck across from her. And it isn't, you know, we get, oh, who are you? What is, what's your name? And he asks her who his stepfather was. And she says, oh, come on, you, you know, you know who he was. And he says something to the effect of, I, I really don't think I did. I honestly don't think I knew who he was. That's why I'm asking. And you can feel... Because she kind of laughs in her first answer. And the mood is light. That You know, it's silly. It's jokey. And as soon as he responds... And we get that... The impact of his words on her face. That kind of... You know, I think she knew getting into this that it was going to be difficult. 
hard-hitting, penetrating. But it's, I think, those words he says, I didn't really know who he was. That hammer home how exposed the conversation is going to be. I think it's scary. It's one thing to say, hey, we're going to talk about X, whatever this big black mark in your childhood was. We're going to talk about this, mom, and I want you to tell me all about it. Okay, that's one thing. You're ready, you're prepared, you can you can formulate a response ahead of time. You can say, all right, we're going to talk about whatever today, and I'm going to tell you all about it from my point of view so that you have a better understanding of what took place. But when something as simple as, I didn't know who my stepfather was, comes out of your kid's mouth, that's... Like, that, that knocks out the, the premise completely. She, it shows on her face. Like, what do you mean you didn't know who he was? I, I, what do you mean, who was he? You knew? No, I didn't. Presuming these very simple things. Like... Like, how could you not know this person that lived with us, that raised you for, you know, 5, 10, 15 years of your life? But knowing that, you know, I don't know how well I knew my parents. I can't go back through their Facebook profiles and I can't scroll through their Instagram. I can't read all the tweets they sent. None of that stuff existed yet. Handful of physical photographs. <laughs> A couple of pieces of writing and handful of videos, mostly of my mom, and that's it. There's not even enough material there to, like, study for a full day. It's very easy to ignore something so simple like that. To kind of blind yourself to the reality of what's happening around you. Like, of course my son would, would know who his stepfather was. He lived, they lived in the same house together. He slept in my bed with me. He drove him to school, to, to, to sports practice, to, to get his driver's license, to, to the doctor. He took him to the store. They went to the movies together. But maybe you overlook the way that they never talked during dinner. How, when your son was watching TV and the stepfather went into the living room, he always changed the channel. How, when you tucked him in at night, you gave him a kiss. And 
all your all the stepfather did was turn out the light from the hallway. Now I'm just embellishing for for emphasis, but I, I don't know the specifics. But in effect, I think it's super easy. It's it's ridiculously easy to gloss over so many of those things. Beyond parent-child relationships, friendships, siblings, co-workers. You, you, you hide things from yourself. That's why there can be so many conversations a year into a friendship, relationship, whatever it is, that involve conversations that include the words, I had no idea I was whatever. I didn't know that you thought, I couldn't tell that this bothered you. And it sucks, doesn't it? A little? A lot? Maybe? Like, man, I really wish I'd let you picked, pick where we go to eat more often. I didn't realize that I was taking all those decisions away from you. You know, it's... It's just like having this, this glass shattered above your head <laughs> like how much your mother and, and, and all of a sudden but once it's brought up you see everything you can remember it all oh my goodness I was doing that you're right I didn't kiss you back when you came home from work you're right you always instigated all the conversations we had you're right you're right it's that But in the moment, before it's realized, before it's brought up, before it's stated, you don't even have a reason to assume that there's something wrong. Yeah, of course you knew your stepfather. You know who he was. But he didn't. Just the guy that lived in the house. Just a... Just a stranger. Minding the gap. I don't know if the film intends to resolve these issues. It doesn't feel that way. I don't think it's looking for some sort of catharsis. I don't think it's trying to answer a question. Unless that question is, is it difficult to transition it to adulthood? Because that answer is a hell fucking yes. 
whether you're prepared for it, whether it sneaks up on you. No one, no one's ready. Whether you're a model student, whether you flunked out of high school, whether you got had a kid in your teens, whether you grew up in a foster home, none, none of these situations, even under the best possible circumstances, everyone struggles transitioning into adulthood in some way. Minding the Gap shows that. Three different people bonded in friendship and with skateboarding, but three distinct lives, three distinct problems, three distinct situations, mountains to climb. And by the end of it, none of them are, you know, ready. I don't know, I don't think any of them is at a point at the end of this <laughs> this documentary where they're thinking, oh yeah, I'm good now. Yeah, I figured it out. At one point, um, oh, what did he say? Let's see if I can find it. Um, oh man, it was a good quote too. Oh man, it's deeper than I thought it would be in this list. Um, Bing asks Kier, you know, about being filmed, about the documentary, about being part of it, being a subject in it. You know, how does it feel? How does it change things? How does it affect what he's going through? And he calls it, uh, that says that it's like free therapy. Free therapy. And for Kier, I believe that. For Bing, I believe that. Zach, I don't know. Zach's situation feels so much disti so so distinct from the other two in terms of the problems, in terms of the, the trajectory of where it leads. And, and not necessarily for the worst, um, as far as the film itself is, goes, but at least as far as... I, I, I think that Bing and Kier are headed in the right direction. I, I don't know if Zach is. But we aren't all headed in the right direction, are we? We all have friends, people we knew, kids from school, that we were, we knew, you knew that, that, that something was, that things weren't going the right way for them. Maybe Maybe it was just because they, were, they weren't really good at school. Maybe they were into drugs. 
Maybe something else. I don't know. But we all had kids at our school like that. That we were concerned about. Maybe not concerned, at least not at the age that you are in school. But at least people that you look at and you're like, oh man, at least I'm not that person. Which sucks. Sucks feeling that way. I'd like everyone to feel at least as optimistic as I am about the future. At least as hopeful. If not more so. I don't want to look at anyone and think, I'm glad I'm not that person. That sucks. That's a shitty feeling. But you also don't want to think, I wish I was that person. You want to feel like yourself. You want to be within. Uh, and I think the most powerful strength that Minding the Gap and Bing Lu show is how, how much inner strength we all have. How much, how unique our stories are. How personal they can be to each other. How you look at a person, someone you just walk past on the street. And suddenly, if you give it more than a second's thought, you can imagine how much how complicated that person's life life is yeah they're getting on the bus but where are they going work home from work you can guess you can look at them and judge by what they're wearing by whether or not they're on their phone or 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 listening to music or by what they're wearing and what they have with them, groceries, if they went shopping, whether they're wearing a sweatshirt in the middle of summer or shorts in the middle of winter, you can ascribe a, situa a state of being onto that person. But if you think about it any longer, you can realize, oh, it's a lot, lot more than that. There's so much going on beneath these person's surface. And Minding the Gap starts out with, this is just a group of skateboarders. You pass a group of skateboarders who knows how many times in your life. You don't stop and think, man, I wonder what's really going on with them at home. I wonder if he's really okay with his mom's new boyfriend. I wonder how he's handling his newborn child. You don't think that. And this Mind of the Gap kind of makes you. It says, hey, this is a standard group of people that you've seen all the time. Let me show you what's really happening. And I think it's amazing. I think it's incredible. Minding the Gap to 
sum up uh, has um, uh, two um, Circle of Film Award nominations right now. Uh, I've got it in for Best Picture and Best Special Effects, uh, primarily editing. The editing in this film is pretty amazing. And yeah, it, it man, it, it really hurt. It really hit me. Uh, it hit me pretty hard. And it's on Hulu. It's free if you have a Hulu subscription. Uh, if you don't, you can get a free trial for a month and cancel, uh, which I will likely do uh, in a couple of weeks. So take the opportunity. It's only about 90 minutes. It's, it's pretty moving stuff. Uh, yeah, so that's, that's, that's my review of Minding the Gap, uh, a 2018 film documentary directed by Bing Liu about Bing Liu, Keir Johnson, and Zach Mulligan. Thank you for listening to today's episode. And now the outro, courtesy of Meg Berquist. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you would like to listen to more episodes, you can find this podcast at circleoffilm.com or on iTunes. Don't forget to rate and review. If you'd like to follow Ryan on Twitter, you can find him at circleoffilm or contact him through email at circleoffilm at gmail.com. You can also support the show at patreon.com slash circleoffilm for as little as eight cents an episode. Thank you again for listening, and have a week. So long, farewell, I'll be the same night. I know she'll never leave me, even as she fades from view. So long, farewell, I'll be the same night. In the name of love, one night in the name of love. So long, farewell, oh, I'll be the same. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute.